So Christ-centered faith, prayer, healing, and forgiveness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which we've mentioned a few times, was a Lutheran pastor who was martyred in the year 1945 at the hands of the Gestapo. When he was only 39 years of age, Bonhoeffer's ideas have continued to live throughout several popular uh, theological books that he wrote. And one of Pastor Betty and I's favorite theological book that he wrote is only 100 pages long. So it doesn't have to be big. And it's called Life Together. We were so influenced by that book while we studied at the European Nazarene College and Chap House in Switzerland that we've used this book as a midweek study at times and we've referred to it on countless occasions in our message. Mm. Life Together, the 100-page book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is a passionate call. A passionate call to Christian community. The book arises out of Bonhoeffer's experience at leading a clandestine seminary during the Nazi years. It gives practical advice on how life together in the Christ can be sustained in community. The role of personal prayer, worship in common, everyday work, and Christian service is treated in simple yet profound words. It's all about congregational care for each member of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. See, our health as the body of Christ is not measured by the three B's, your butts, the budgets, and the buildings. That's not how we measure our health in Christ Jesus. People in pews, finances, big buildings, youth groups, and how popular we are has nothing to do with how healthy we are in the person we identify as Lord. And when the early church accepted Lord, it wasn't I accepted him in my heart that got the Roman Empire upset. It was that Jesus was Lord, that Jesus was king, and Caesar wasn't that got them upset. They could live with I accepted Jesus in my heart, but they could not live with Jesus as Lord. That's a crucial truth of the history of our faith. See, the measure of our maturity in Christ is one of faithfulness. It's one of discipleship. was another popular book that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. It's, it's obedience, as we say many times, in the long obedience in the same direction. But it's not towards nothingness. Our obedience is towards Christ's holiness, Christ's likeness. James and Dietrich Bonhoeffer both encourage us towards a life that is communal, especially in its faithful exercise of prayer. See, corporate prayer, steadfast living, uh, corporate care are contagious evidences of spiritual health. These are the traits that we are to cultivate as the body of Christ and not the three B's. Not the three B's. See, James is very concerned about an ethic of integrity. Boy, does our world need some integrity across the board, leadership across the world. Integrity is missing for the most part. See, James introduces new themes now as he closes his book. He's talking about healing. He's talking about anointing. He's talking about confessing our sins one to another. And he responds to four ecclesial, four church conditions. There's suffering, there's cheerfulness, there's sickness, and there's wandering from the truth. Now, when we talk about wandering from the truth, we're not talking about wandering from a doctrinal statement that we make as a church. We're talking about walking away from Jesus. Right. In other words, Jesus is no longer Lord. I walk away from him, and I begin to live my life again. See, for James, prayer is one of the essentials of this 
this community, this messianic community that's spread out because of the persecution, there's suffering going on, they're being persecuted by the empire of that time, which was the Roman Empire. And the late Eugene Peterson gives us this insight into the value of prayer. Prayer, we can't say we've seen it on film, but I want you to grasp it in your souls. This is what he says. Prayer is not a job list assigned to us by God. Hello? It's not a job list. Nor is it a transfer of information between earth and heaven. You know, David Bowie's song, you know, this is Major Tom's ground control. You know, it's not about that. Dating. It's, it's this. Prayer, like the best conversations on earth, cultivates intimacy. How intimate are you with God? It nurtures obedience. So out of the prayer column comes the obedient, righteous one. And it becomes a way of, of dealing in, in community with God and with the people that God has called us to serve. So the first thing that he tells us today is, let the suffering pray and let the cheerful sing. So he says, is any one of you suffering? Hello? Is anyone suffering? Then pray. Then pray. See, there was suffering going on. He knew that. So he asked them a question that he already knew the answer to. And I know there's suffering going on, and that's why I can ask the same question. But it's for you to respond to that question. Yes, I am suffering. Could you pray for me? That's right. Because he knew that Christ suffered in Gethsemane, on the cross, while the people whipped his back. He knew Christ was ridiculed, he was spat upon, that Christ suffered. And we know that the disciples suffered as well, that they were put in prison after the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So when we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, beware of what can fall. Beware of what can fall. And even the Apostle Paul says that he, he prays for the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Are you praying to share in the sufferings of each other? No rose-tinted glasses for James and Paul. There's suffering going on in our world right now. We know that, don't we? That's right. It's not only COVID-19. It's the murder by those called to protect us. All that news that we heard in the last month or so. There's real poverty going on. There's famine going on. There is corruption in the high places of government going on. There is cancer. There is racism. There's countless diseases. There's war. There's too many things to list. But there is suffering going on. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone suffering? It's real. Right. And it's in this world. And God wants us to pray. To pray. See, the word that James uses for suffering is one that is used to express hardships in times of war. We find sufficient evidence for this type of suffering. James chapter, remember he talked about way back in chapter 1 about trials, about the implication of oppression, about, about the need for perseverance, about the suffering of the marginalized the, the widows, the orphans, the poor that are being oppressed by the rich. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare and it's suffering is a consequence of that warfare. And if this is you, Bossy James is saying, pray. Amen. Pray. Pray. And then he goes on, he says, if anyone is cheerful, sing. Now I know the laws say we can't sing. But you can sing. I was coming back there probably loud enough for some of you to hear me. So, uh -oh. build up that diaphragm. You can hum. Mm. I was humming. I was humming up here. You can hum. 
But McKnight, like anyone that knows blues music and rhythm and booze, the blues is really singing your sorrows, but rhythm and booze is putting a step into your sorrows. And I think that's what James is talking about here. We should avoid thinking of as cheerful, Scott McKnight says, in terms of a happy, smiling face because life is good. That's not why we sing because life is good, especially in this context. The word used by James evokes enthusiasm, courage, and confidence in the context of stress. Anybody stressful these last four months? Hmm. Anybody stressful of what you can do, what you can't do, who you can visit, who you can't visit, and what you can say and what you cannot say? Is anyone stressful? He's saying, sing. If you're cheerful, sing. In a storm at sea, experiencing hunger, the apostle Paul urges the sailors, remember that scene? The storm hit, they had to throw the excellent baggage out of the ship, out of the boat, so that they could survive. He says, keep up your courage. Amen. In the context of stress, are you still courageous? Amen. You still believe the Lord as we sang in prayer last night, as we sang an old song we used to sing, let us be the dreamers of his dreams, that we began to pray that, that we will dream again Amen. as God's people. That we will believe that God can save, that God can sanctify, that God can fill people with the Holy Spirit, that God can make us holy as He is holy. Let us dream again. Amen. Do not let this time of stress and suffering sap that dream and take that dream away from us. We're dreamers of His dreams. Remember Paul and Silas in prison? They were severely flogged. So that means they were suffering. And what did they do when they went back in prison? They sang. Not because they were living a good life and everything was rosy. No, because the Lord of glory was within them. And despite their stress and their suffering, they knew who to other praise to. And that is King Jesus, is it not? Amen. People respond to the same conditions in different ways. If you're suffering and you're stressful and you can't sing, you can pray. <laughs> If you're suffering and you feel encouraged and you feel confident and you're stressful and you're suffering, you can sing. So it's not about a good life and a not so good life. It's the same life, but people respond differently. So let the people be original in their response to their context of stress and suffering. I love what Richard Foster said. Triumph comes through suffering, not around it. That's right. Hello? They had to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. They couldn't go around the wilderness and then end up in the promised land. You have to go through the suffering to enter into the area where God wants to bless you. So if anyone is suffering, pray. Is anyone cheerful, still stressful, still suffering? Let him sing. And then he moves on when he talks about healing and confession. Is anyone among you sick? Yes, Christians can get sick. We don't believe that, you know, if you're a Christian, your sickness shouldn't come to you. That's not what we believe. Christians can get sick. But the word translated sick is more than our physical sickness. It embraces spiritual sickness. It embraces mental health. Amen. It even it describes somebody that right on the verge of death. It embraces all of the above that I've mentioned. And he says, if anyone is sick, summon the elders. Hmm. The ill person, the one who is sick, is supposed to get up on the phone or write a text and say, Pastor, can you get the board members? Can you come and visit me where I am? And can you pray for me? It's not for us to have the Martian ears. You know, you can watch it on Prime Video, the old TV show of the Martians, and kind of figure out what's going on in the neighborhood. 
It's for you to open up your mouth and say, I'm sick. Is anyone sick? I'm sick. Then call them and they will come and they will pray and anoint you in the name of the Lord, in the name of the one that you were baptized into in his death and resurrection and in his life. Jesus Christ is your call for the elders. Oil was used for anointing kings. Oil at that time in the ancient world was used also for medicinal problems. But this is oil that is representative of the power of the Holy Spirit and working through supernatural grace. We read about it in the Gospels that Jesus sent forth his disciples to pray for the sick, to cast out demons by anointing them. But as we read in James, it's the one who is sick responsibility to ask for the church to pray for them. James says that the prayer of faith will save the sick. The word save is the same word that's used for healed. So whenever you say the person was saved, the person was healed, the person was delivered, it's the same word. We translate it in various words because the interpreters can't agree on what one word should it be for all time. But anyway, believe it or not, many in the evangelical world that we are part of are skeptical of healing. A lot of them say they will believe in prayer, but when you pray for them and you pray, then they turn that, that negativity or that negative response that, yeah, well, maybe God could heal that person over there, but God won't heal me, right? But nevertheless, James tells us that we are to pray for one another. And one of the commentaries tells a story of it seems so similar to the story of Eddie's step-grandmother in Mount Pleasant, what took place there, that I couldn't believe it. But I know it's not true because the stories are so far apart in, in their time span. It was a certain church that wasn't a charismatic church, okay? It didn't believe in the exercise of all the gifts of the Spirit and so on. But it wasn't against the charismatic gifts either. So it wasn't either for or, or against and there was a, a woman about 60 years old, and she just underwent surgery. And during the surgery, the physicians discovered that she had cancer all through her body. 60 years old, okay? Some of you at 60 will probably just give up, right? It's too late to pray. But at 60 years old, a person that wasn't part of a Pentecostal, charismatic type church, or, or even a holiness church that we prayed for healing since the beginning of our birth, she went and she asked, at 60, she asked the elders to pray for her. So, because the surgeons and the physicians gave her six months to live. You might think it's a lost cause. Why pray if the doctors, the experts, are saying that you'll be gone in six months? So she asked them to pray and they got together and they prayed. And then months later, when she was scheduled for surgery again, she went there, and the doctors opened her up, and guess what? No cancer. Oh, cancer. Amen. Cancer died. She lived to be 90, in her 90s. But it was an old woman that most society would give up on at 60, so I'm, I'm a little bit older than 60, so I'm classified as old man. Though my kids have been calling me that for a while, but anyway... <laughs> Anyway, and she lived into her 90s because she had the gall, she had the faith to believe, to call the elders, could you pray for me? And whatever happened, she could live with it. Amen. It's not a point of you should or you shouldn't, but why not? Amen. Why not? And leave the miracle in the hands of God. That's right. In the hands of the Lord. 
See, it was the church that helped raise that woman from her sickbed, that she could live another 30 years, half of which she, you know, she, she got to live two-thirds, and then she got to live another extra third because of God's people being faithful, but most of all because she was faithful, but they were that hand. And, you know, James uses it, and the Lord will raise them up. I don't know if you noticed in the gospel that this is used a few times and in the book of Acts. When Jesus does a miracle, when the healing takes place, there is an extension of a hand to get the person that is ill up. Remember Peter's mother-in-law? She was sick, right? Peter goes there and he expected his mother-in-law to cook, you know, all those things that we had kind of put heavy loads upon our wives and our mother-in-laws and grandmothers and so on. But she was sick. What does Jesus do? Jesus calls, he prays for her, and then he gives her the hand and he raised her up, and we read later on that she was serving them. She was serving them. It's not to the great woman here, okay? Hear me right. Is that divine prayer of God, of Jesus, speaking to the Father, interceded, but he also needed the human touch to raise the person from their position in life. He did the same thing at the the beautiful gate where the man was crippled and after the Holy Spirit came upon him and, and Peter and John were going to their temple to pray. They had both a formal spiritual life and an informal spiritual life. So they were going to do their formal thing. And this man was a, uh, was a beggar and he couldn't walk. And we know what Peter said to them, you know, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have I give to you in the name, the name of King Jesus and Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then they extended their hand the divine and the human touch working together to make that person well. So, is anyone sick? Ask. Ask and you shall. This is the father of good gifts. Remember chapter 1? This is the one who says, Ask and you will receive, seek and you shall find not. And that door will be open unto you. Amen. And here's the twist that he throws now that we kind of don't like. He widens the theme. He says, Confess your sins. Who me? Confess your sins. Now, in Mark chapter 1, the paralytic, his sin is connected to his sickness. But in John chapter 9, the blind person's sickness is not connected to his sin. Right? So, it's different. You know if you are sick because of something that has gone wrong in your life. Right? When I had hepatitis C, and I stuck a needle when I was young in my arm to do drugs. I was responsible for that sickness that I got because we shared unclean needles. Okay? So I can't blame someone else. I'm responsible. But there are certain things that I do get sick that are not related to sin at all. It's as simple as that. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And sadly, to confess is rare in the church today. Right. See, to confess your sin is the opposite of covering up your sin. Hello? That's right. To confess your sin is the opposite of covering up your sin. And yet, this confession of sin was, was part of ancient Israel's life. It was part of the early church's life. It was part, part of the history of the church. Even people that were innocent, that stand, stood in the gap for their people, for the Israelites and for the early church, Especially Moses and Daniel, even though they were innocent, they identified with the sin of the people because I'm still part of the people. Hello? Do we get this concept? It's through communal prayer, confession, that we understand our life together as a way of life that is not individual, but it's communal. It's communal. 
I love what this person said. Confession becomes not a groveling and fear of judgment, but an opportunity to return to the mercy of God. Amen. Why wouldn't we want to confess if it's an opportunity to return to the mercy of God? Do you remember when you first received that mercy and it just freed your spirit? Amen. It just set you free and you began to dance and leap and jump and scream and holler hallelujah to the Lord. It set you free. Why wouldn't you want to return to that? See, prayer exercised within and on behalf of community has power. James says it's effective. He gives us the example of Elijah. But then he writes those few words, and he was a human just like you. He was a human just like us. In other words, don't put Elijah on a pedestal. Don't put Peter and John on a pedestal. Don't put James on a pedestal. Don't put anyone on a pedestal because we're all humans like each other. And the way that Elijah prayed, you can pray too. Hello. Hello. You know, not everybody we pray for is healed, but that shouldn't stop us from praying. That's right. It shouldn't stop you from asking. Because you never know if you're healing, you can have a testimony. I'm sure that woman of 60, that her testimony for the next 30 years in her life rubbed off on somebody. That's right. Of what God did in her life. And that's why we should still believe in, in that. And as he closed out, his letter, he brings us to this passage that prayer leads to evangelism and restoration. James, the bossy one, right? The bossy one. We read it through again. Read it all in one setting. If you got the app, you version of the Bible, put on the audio and listen through it. It doesn't take long. And, and some of the things that James say maybe gets us perturbed, but it's for your good. <laughs> It's for your good and for your health in Christ. He says, some will wander from the truth. Wow. Some will wander from the truth. I don't care if you say the person accepted Jesus at a youth camp or a children's camp 50 years ago. They can wander from the truth. That's right. Somebody could accept Christ last week. They can still wander from the truth. The possibility to wander is a reality or else James wouldn't mention here. But he's not focusing on the person that wandered as much as we that are behind should try to rescue them. Amen. You know, we give up on too many people. Right. And that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to rescue the perishing. No, doesn't he? Amen. You ready to dream that again? He wants us to turn them around from wandering to, to, from the truth, wandering from Jesus Christ, so that they turn around and walk towards Jesus Christ again. We need to know that such efforts of bringing a wandering brother or sister is worth the effort, is it not? No, I can't say that to them. I can't speak to them. It's worth it. You're suffering. You're saving them, James says, from a death of their soul. You're saving them from a place of no return. I love this quote by Simon Sinek. He said, ambition is refusing to quit on yourselves. Hello? It's very personal. I have ambition. I don't want to, but that's basically about me. But leadership, if you're in a role of leadership of any capacity, wherever you are, leadership is refusing to quit on others. Amen. So no matter how much people talk about a dead church or nobody's doing this, or nobody's, I will not quit because God has faith in you. Amen. Do not quit on the others because you're killing the body of Christ by thinking in that way. Leadership refuses to quit on others. We see the potential that is here that if God could just grab a hold of it 
and rescue people from wandering from the truth, what wonderful things we will experience together. Hello? Amen. See, to see someone straying off in the land of death and of no return and do nothing is a cataclysmic desertion of royal duty to God. You know, since all this thing started, they said one-third of practicing Christians. You hear me? Now, I'm not talking about nominal. I'm not talking about nuns. I'm not talking about people that are from church more. I'm talking about people that went to church. About one-third of them stopped going to church, whether the church had a service or whether it was a digital service. They stopped. One-third of the body of Christ stopped listening to the communal voice of God. Why? What a statement. And the latest word that they have us is that we're a hybrid church. That means we are in-person-digital. Is that what we become as the body of Christ? Just a hyphen? Maybe because we're concentrating too much on the three Bs. And hopefully you remember what they are. Throughout the letter of James, we find encouragement to walk in wisdom, to walk in faith, to walk in holiness. We are to be a community that walks in truth, that speaks the truth, that seeks divine wisdom, and if you lack, ask. That shows no favoritism. Wasn't that really positioned at a time when all the Black Lives Matter movement started when Pastor Betty preached that message? Show no favoritism? Because sin, favoritism is a sin? We are not to be boasting of ourselves. We are to care for the poor. We are to pray together. We are to confess to one another. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We are to believe that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful, that God heals and that God sends rains and time of drought. And all the farmers said amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Wasn't that rain good the last week or so? Amen. <laughs> this can only be accomplished through life together. You know... You would think like a, pande a pandemic that we are going through, like COVID-19, will draw the body of Christ together. You would think that it will bring us into that place of unity that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17. That oneness between the Father and the Son, and between the Son and the disciples, and now between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and us. You think we would begin to move into that unity these words come from David Brooks from the, a recent article in the New York Times. It talks about the situation of the states, but it can also be related to the situation in the church. He said, if you don't have a fierce sense of belonging to each other, you're not going to sacrifice for the common good. Hello? If you don't have the sense of life together that Bonhoeffer and James has been hammering out, you won't sacrifice for each other. In other words, it's a me first. I live my ambitions, and I don't care what happens to the rest of the flock. Right? He says, we're confronted with a succession of wicked problems. And look at the headlines south of the border, and you know what he's talking about. And it turns out, this is what his words, we're not even capable, in his words, putting on a friggin' mask. You know, churches in the States have divided because should we wear a mask or shouldn't we wear a mask? If you want to wear it, if you don't, that's fine. It's up to you. But to divide a church that a young pastor or one of our own churches south of the border, a person says, if you start asking us to wear a mask, I'm leaving. Wow. A friggin' mask? And you're going to leave the body of Christ? How foolish have we become? That's when ambition before the body of Christ begins to evolve in our Going back to Bonhoeffer and I'll close here. 
In his book, Life Together, he says these words, I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. Hello? Only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more surely everything between us recedes. And the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the only thing that is vital between us. Hello, did you get that? Amen. I'm going to say it again. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more we live this life together in Christ and for Christ and to Christ, the more surely everything that's between us, whatever that is between us, that stops us from fellowshipping one with the other, the more we understand community, that stuff begins to go away and we become one in Jesus Christ when we let it go. Hello? Oh, he had some tough words, huh? He was a bossy guy too, these requirements, just like James. He wrote his letter out. <laughs> but people who paid attention to it didn't cry out. They said, I'm healed. I'm healed. The question Bossy James has been asking us throughout the letters is, is Jesus Christ and his work the only thing vital to your life right 